This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. It's unlikely this year will match 2021 in terms of being the year of school choice. But this year does have something different. A variety of states are now moving ahead with near-universal choice programs for young people. Cato's Colleen Ronsich comments. 2021, the year of school choice, uh, didn't work out as hoped in my home state of Kentucky, but many states broadly moved ahead with bold, sometimes universal uh, school choice programs. Here we are in 2023, and we're already seeing uh, another big year. So what what has happened? What have been the no- most notable uh, steps that states have taken or may- perhaps even just chambers of legislatures have taken uh, in advancing educational freedom? Well, it's uh, yeah, you're right. It's already been a, a big year. We celebrated National School Choice Week recently. And in that week, two states already passed universal school choice programs, education savings accounts. The details are a little different on both of them, but Iowa and Utah are both within the next few years going to have universal school choice available for their families. So it's a very exciting time. And there seems to be a little bit of a race to the top among the red states. And so uh, they join what? Arizona uh, in terms of the universality of these uh, programs? Uh, what what other states are pushing? So, right, Arizona passed theirs last year. The year before, West Virginia passed one that's nearly universal, and in another year, I believe, will become universal. So they had a stipulation that you had to be in public school first, but if fewer than 5% of students are participating in the program by, I'm pretty sure, 2024, then it opens up to uh, the entire state. And now you've got, um, just yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the Sarah... Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, introduced or gave more details on her uh, Arkansas Learns plan, she's calling it. And there's a lot of different components to it. But one of them, she says, will be universal school choice within three years, allowing families to choose public, private and homeschool options. So we don't have a lot of details on it yet, but it's definitely clear that that she wants to be in the universal crowd. Uh, And I mentioned uh Kentucky, of course, uh, right. which has recently uh, unveiled a proposed constitutional amendment, which clears away a lot of uh, hurdles to uh, creating school choice of any kind in the Commonwealth. Right. When your Supreme Court there struck that down last year, I, I think that the legislature took it as a challenge, not a rebuke. And they decided to move forward and amend the Constitution to make it clear that it doesn't you don't have to just fund a system in order to provide public education to your families you can fund the families and give them a variety of options and of course we know that's what works best for families a lot of these school choice plans uh notably have been paired it seems with uh, a lot of uh, i don't know what you'd call it i i hate to use the term but anti woke uh plans which as far as we can tell, so far are just attempting to exert control, direct state control over uh, what happens in traditional public schools. So you definitely some of the states are doing both. and But some of them, Iowa and Utah, I don't think had anything of any of that sort of thing in their programs. So I guess it just depends on kind of what's happening on the ground. And I think that there are some parents who don't feel like school choice is 
a quick enough answer for them to deal with some of the stuff that they're seeing in their schools. So I guess they're taking a two-pronged approach. But obviously, school choice is the better answer because that way all the parents can choose what they want. Well, and also, uh, you know, when I, I speak with people about this, I, I talk a lot about school choice with, with people uh, here. And uh, my pitch to them is a lot of this stuff is just rendered irrelevant when you have a robust system of school choice where parents can easily take their kids and go to a better option immediately. Right. People claim or complain about the politicization of education, but it's part and parcel of a government-run monopoly system. You're going to have, if you're going to force people to fight political battles to have the education they want for their kids, then you're going to have political battles. Whereas with a robust system of choice, then instead you're going to have people just making their choices. You mentioned that a lot of this is happening in red states with uh, Utah, uh, Iowa, Arizona, Florida. Um, are a lot of the advances that we're seeing in educational freedom, has this become a requirement? Like to be a member of the Republican Party in good standing, one must support uh, broad educational freedom. It certainly seems like it's going that way. We've got in Texas, which I think a lot of people have been surprised how resistant they've been to school choice over the years. They don't have any private school choice programs. But they and they did some polling, and I, they even had a, a referendum question. It wasn't a binding thing, but in their Republican primaries last year, and huge majorities of voters indicated that they support school choice. So I think you see that there. In Iowa, it's a pretty interesting story what happened. Some of the Republicans blocked Governor Reynolds from implementing her plan last year, so she backed primary challenges to them. The primary challengers, I think eight out of nine of them won, And then she had her majority that she needed to pass it. So I do think that other states are seeing what's happening. And I think that they're, I think that school choice supporters are getting a little bit better maybe at mobilizing parents to advocate for this. So for decades, we've had polling that showed a strong support for these types of programs, but it wasn't something that people necessarily voted on. And I think that's changed post-COVID and post seeing some of what's happened in schools and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say the the memory of seeing school systems, you know, and they're due a, a bit of grace for uh, having to transition as quickly as they did in 2020. But a lot of parents have seen what how teaching has unfolded more closely than they ever have before. That memory is still fresh. And so for uh, a lot of states, it really seems like if we're going to do this, we better do it now. Right. And I think parents saw when they had the other options, they kind of saw, oh, it's not so bad if my kids are home a couple of days a week or maybe a micro school popped up in their area and they'd never heard of anything like that before. And so I think that they're also seeing a better idea of what is possible. You know, most of us grew up in the public school system. And so it's kind of all we ever knew. And as you get exposed to some of these other options and you see the benefits of them, I think it just makes people a lot more willing to take a chance on them. So what what is what's the likelihood? A lot of state legislatures are, of course, in full swing right now, uh, and that will sort of wind down in the next month or two. What do you expect uh, at the end of the day in terms of tallying up the states with uh, universal school choice or with uh, new robust programs or expanded programs? I don't really have an ability to predict you know, what's going to happen in each state just because there's so many variables in them. But I, I think that what we're seeing is 
is really exciting. And I think that it seems very likely that at least Arkansas, I think Texas has a decent chance, I'm told. I don't know. You'd know better than me about the chances of the Kentucky Amendment. Um, there have been you know, bills introduced in Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota. I think you know South Dakota maybe will be having something. It seems like a, a pretty good state for it. So I, I think we'll definitely see movement in many of those states. Universal ones are, it's a big hill to climb. So I don't know how likely we're going to have a big you know rush of those after Iowa and Utah. But I think that people are on alert now and they're aware that these can happen. And so definitely the time is better now than ever before, I would say. When are we going to start seeing studies uh, that govern how schools performed uh, during this pandemic, because I, I know the the focus on uh, learning loss and the ability of young people to to maintain their skills and knowledge in this you know devastating pandemic that we had. Uh, when are we going to learn more about what the what the full scale of the of the costs have been? I'm not sure we'll ever fully understand it all. Um, you know, they had NAEP scores. We've had two different types of NAEP scores. Uh, that's the nation's report card, the National Assessment of Educational Progress. We've had two different batches that have come out since COVID, and both did show substantial loss for kids, um, historic losses even. And, you know, so hopefully they're, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. I think one of the problems is, these are individual troubles that kids are having. They're, they're, kids are having these problems as individuals, but we're too often trying to address it as a system, and that's not going to work. So I think that things like these school choice programs can actually help a lot with that because then each parent can look at their individual children and even within your own kids, which you know we both have more than one kid and we know that they're different. And so to be able to take those funds and get each child the help they need, I think is ultimately what is going to get us past these hurdles. But, you know, taking just a system-wide approach, it's just never going to solve the problem, I don't think. Colleen Ronsich is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>